So Money, episode 1085, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Ask Farnoosh Friday, August 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Friday. We have questions today concerning the best places to store your cash. Listeners wondering about collecting unemployment while also on the Paycheck Protection Program. How does that work? Before we get to that, I wanted to just give you guys some updates. So, the So Money Equity Learning Scholarship. I have a name for it now. It's this uh, scholarship I've been talking about on the podcast for some weeks. It now is official. I have a learning scholarship set aside. It's $2,500, but likely will be increasing as many of you have reached out expressing interest in supporting the scholarship through either donations, offering virtual tutoring services. So my goal is to spend the next week getting applications, finalizing those applications, reviewing the applications, and hearing from you if you'd like to support this and ultimately help as many families across the country as possible. So if you're interested, Farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. If you're interested in applying or learning about to, you know, how to apply, send the application to a friend, email me, I'll send you that link. It's a Google form that I created. Very informal. I'm not going to like do a background check on these families. I trust that everybody who is applying really needs the money. And to make it a little bit more straightforward, the funds are probably going to go directly to the tutoring service so that the family never has to worry about making those payments themselves, getting the money and then making the payments. It's just going to be taken care of. It'll be $2,500 worth of tutoring uh, for that family. And as I said, probably more than one family at this point. raised thousands of dollars in just 24 hours when I posted this on Instagram. Um, The uh, outpouring of support was just, I mean, I was in tears. So this is maybe the beginning of something even bigger. I'm thinking, do I start a 501c3? Do I, you know, how do I make this a little bit bigger? Do I partner with a not-for-profit? If you have more experience in this stuff, please let me know. I've never really... I mean, I've obviously contributed to causes before. Um, I've helped raise money, but I've never thought about, you know, the next level, which could be setting up a 501c3, a not-for-profit official, making this more official, uh, how to scale this. So let me know if you've got ideas on that end. Then if you'd like to help me out uh, with a contribution, uh, I would love to hear from you as well. Farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Applications are due by next Friday, so one week from today, and I will be announcing the recipient or recipients the following week on September 1st so that we can get this uh, hopefully going in time before the majority of the school years begin across the country. I know some kids have already started in the hot 
states like California, but I hope that this will meet these families' needs in good time. So I wanted to give an update on that. And if you didn't catch my Bloomberg article this week, and I'm writing for Bloomberg now, I'm an opinion columnist there. Apparently my opinions are counting for something these days. Uh, I wrote about the case for discretionary spending during the pandemic recession. It actually stemmed from a question on this show. A listener wrote in and said, hey, I've been thinking about doing a home renovation, a kitchen remodeling. We've been saving for this. We even got a HELOC prior to the pandemic, because now you can't get really home equity lines of credit. Uh, they're, they're scarce. But you know, I don't know if I should continue to do this. It seems like a really weird time to be spending. So I thought, hmm, that's an interesting thing to say. You know, it's not like we don't want to spend because we don't have the money. No, we have the money. We have all of our ducks in a row. We want to do this. It would make us happy if we're still having second thoughts. So I wrote a piece called why spending money right now isn't a terrible idea. Now, there are some caveats to this, right? I assume you don't have credit card debt. I assume you have your rainy day reserve. I assume you are contributing to all the things, retirement and you have income. So your rarity right now and that you've got everything going on and haven't really been hurt financially because of this pandemic. So you want to buy a new car. So maybe you want to buy a house. Maybe you want to get a new kitchen. Maybe you want to buy a laptop. We just bought a mattress. We bought, actually we bought a bed and we bought a new laptop. And it took months for me to make this purchase, these purchases. I had the money, but I was like, "Uh, let's just see how the world how everything just works out. You know, there was so much uncertainty about a house in the pandemic, but uh, ironically, I was too scared to buy a laptop in the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, I think this is an interesting thing, right? It's so emotional as humans. We don't make rational decisions every day, especially when it comes to our money. So in this article, I, I suggest you check it out. If you are that person who's kind of in that camp of like, I want to spend, but I'm not sure, I give you the rationale for spending. And, you know, basically my argument is that if you have liquidity, you have cash. So this expense is not going to severely compromise your rainy day reserve. You'll still have, you know, a six month rainy day reserve. Maybe you'll have a five month rainy day reserve after you buy the XYZ thing. But you have a job, so you can commit to replenishing that. Right now, it's taking about 16 weeks on average for someone to find a job who is unemployed. So if you have, you know, four, five, six, 10 months of savings, that should be enough uh, for most people. If you're there, that's, you know, you can check off that box. You're, you're warmer to making this purchase with certainty, without buyer's remorse. Then, you know, how is this product, service, purchase going to benefit you? Is it going to make you happy? I know money doesn't buy happiness, but frankly, it can buy a lot of peace right now, flexibility. You know, money can lead to conveniences to make life better right now. People are stressed. That's your count for something. So if it's my new bed, right, that's going to help me feel like I'm going to sleep better at night or my laptop, which I'm literally, this is one of the last episodes that I'll be recording on my 2011 MacBook Air. I finally splurged on the latest MacBook Air. I haven't configured it all yet. So, you know, that you know how that goes. It takes days or whatever. Like my husband's dealing with that. I can't be bothered. But I've had this laptop for almost 10 years. <laughs> 
I'm really looking forward to not having this very loud fan, you know, and having more space, uh, memory for the videos that I want to create and, 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 you know, my pursuits for this business. Uh, so the laptop will be more than a return on my investment. So thinking about it in those terms, what are you going to get in return for this expense? What's it going to give you? Um, if you're going to remodel your kitchen, that's a great way to increase the value of your home. If you do it without blowing your budget, if you do it the smart way, of course, we're spending a lot more time in our kitchens. I'm cooking every day now. It's so nice to not be able to use my oven as a shoe rack uh, like I was in New York City. My microwave, I actually use it now. It's not just a storage for my kids' books. Um, seriously. So these are the considerations and the article goes on, but check out Bloomberg.com and search Farnoosh and you'll quickly get to that article. The case for spending in a recession. By the way, you'll be helping the economy, right? You'll be helping GDP. Okay, let's go to the mailbag. I want to get to our questions. We I picked three questions this week. They're all quite meaty. So just three as opposed to the usual five First up is Crystal, who writes in on Instagram, which says, hey, Farnoosh, recently been listening and making money moves on my time to ensure that I'm saving within my means. I've done really well in eliminating my consumer debt over the last year, taking advantage of my employer-backed 401k, HSA, and throwing money into my savings accounts. I've also managed to get my husband on board with his own savings and thinking more long-term. I'm noticing I don't like the amount of interest my cash savings is yielding on a monthly basis. I prefer to have a certain amount liquid in case of emergency, but I'm wondering if you have any resources on high yield savings accounts that still make accessing money fairly simple and penalty free. All right, Crystal, thanks for your question and great work getting out of consumer debt, filling all these retirement buckets, 401k, and then, you know, you sounds like you're really working well on your savings. And then your husband too. That's always a good thing. I get this question quite a bit on and offline. You know, where should I park my money? And in fact, my husband and I had this conversation the other night because it's annoying. You know, we've got quite a bit of money in savings, especially after selling our Brooklyn apartment. We are um, in a good place liquidity wise. So it's frustrating that where we've got the money now is earning next to nothing when it could be earning a little bit more than next to nothing. And then we consider like, the trade-offs. Like, yes, I guess we could move the money to another account where the marketing right now says you can earn 0.5%. Like I have actually not seen more than 0.5.6% on a high yield checking account. Not talking about CDs or money market. These just these checking accounts that often are offered by online banks that are typically higher in the marketplace because online banks don't have the overhead that a brick and mortar bank does. They can pass on that savings more directly to consumers, to savers in the form of higher interest rates, savings rates. So you might see, you know, XYZ online bank offering 0.5%, 0.6%. That is down actually from where it was say five months ago where you could probably find an online savings account high yield for over a percent, maybe one and a half percent, maybe even two percent. But a lot of these rates, again, they're not set in stone. They can change. So you're going to make the effort to move your money to this other account that might be earning at the end of the day, might get you a few more dollars. We're talking dollars. We're not talking hundreds of dollars. Unless, look, if you've got 
several hundred thousand dollars, millions of dollars in cash. I'd be worried less about this question. I'd want to focus more on why aren't you investing that money? You don't need that much money in savings unless you're planning to buy a mansion with cash, which is a whole other episode. But back to this issue, I, I don't know if it's right now really, quote unquote, worth it to keep moving your money around, your daily savings from one high yield checking account to another because over there they're offering me extra 0.25%. What is that really at the end of the day? What is that? Is it worth your time? Right? Also, it's no guarantee. You could go there and then in a month you're back to where you were. So I say the most important thing when you're choosing right now a bank account to store your rainy day money that you might need to access if you lost your job next week, God forbid, but let's just say that's why it's there, that it is easy to access. It's not going to require like a three-day period for you to withdraw the money. You can get it right away. You can go to an ATM and withdraw. You can transfer that money within minutes to, let's say, your traditional bank account where you can then you know write checks and you can transfer money and you can go to the ATM. That's important. It's FDIC insured, obviously. Let's hope. That means it's got a uh, insurance cap of up to $250,000, right? To ensure that if that bank goes under, the savings will not disappear. That's most important. And if I were to tap my good friend, Ramit Sethi, a lot of you guys listen to me and you also subscribe to Ramit's work. He's the author of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He's been on this show a number of times. He says, you know, He gets this question a lot too, and he gets really annoyed, but he's like, listen, these are small potatoes, small financial concerns. Focus more on the bigger wins. Like what are the fees that you're paying in your retirement portfolio? I did this change to my retirement portfolio a number of years ago. I was working with a financial planner and I was like, I want all of the funds that have management fees of more than one and a half percent on a page to see. I want to understand why we're investing in them. And if there's really no point, if there's a comparable index fund to this, then I want to switch. I think I reduced my average fee in the portfolio by something like half a percent. That's tens of thousands of dollars. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially, right? So that move in the long run saved me a lot more than these little, little moves of moving, you know, a six-month ready to reserve from one online bank to another. Um, another way to think about a big win, I like to say, is can you get more money at work? 10% more at work right now because you're, let's say, taking on the roles and responsibilities of multiple people in this recession. If your company has laid people off, that may immediately seem like a dead-end conversation with your boss to make more money. But my advice is, Don't go and ask for the raise the same day they're laying people off or the week later, but give it a couple months. If you're still there, that what does that mean? Means they value you a lot and you're probably doing more work at this point and making the same amount of money. Now, are you going to go in and ask for everybody's salary? No, you're going to ask for 10, 15% more because that is still a benefit to your company. They just let go, let's say a dozen people. That's millions of dollars. So to give you an extra $15,000 or whatever it turns out to be, this is the sort of math you want to present to your to your boss. I'm doing the work of four other people. I'm happy to do it. I love my job. See a future here. But I would like to get compensated. Now, I know we're not like in the booming years, but 
we just did save millions of dollars. And I know that it was to save the company, quote unquote, save the company, but I'm part of that equation. I'm helping you save this company. And if you can even show that, you know, you've brought added value to the company in the last few months, even better. That's going to drive your point home to the point where they probably can't even argue with you. And if they're not going to give you the raise at that point, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's, it's a, it's a weird place to work. (laughs) Don't give up on the raise this year. You can, I'm going to actually write about this from Bloomberg next. And this has been helpful for me to think through this out loud with you. But I do think that there's room for making more money this year. It's not all negative. So thinking about how you can create steps to bring in the thousands of more dollars into your life. That's the way we want you to think on so money. We don't want you to think about 0.2% on a savings account where you've you've got a few thousand dollars. We want to think about, you know, 0.2%. 5%, 1% on an investment portfolio that's earning, that's going to grow to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's substantial. A friend of mine renegotiated her property taxes. Maybe not right now is a good time to do this in some cities and towns because home prices are going up. But if you're in a part of the country where home prices have actually fallen, maybe wait till next year when I think when the bubble is going to burst, then why are you paying the same property taxes? If your if your town has reassessed your home to be less than what it was last reassessment, why are you paying the same taxes? So know what the comps are. What were the home prices in the last six months? If you were to sell your home today based on comps in the last six months in your town, would it be more than what you paid for it or less? You can actually go to the town court and fight this. And my friend saved $5,000 a year on her taxes because she did a little bit of homework. She went on Zillow. She talked to a few real estate agents, brought in the right paperwork into court and got the money. So this is how we want you to think. I appreciate this question. I've had this question. I was talking about this with my husband the other night. Our checking accounts earning nothing, but it's small potatoes. You know, it's it's like what, $50, $10, $2. You know, I I know it's annoying because you want to feel like you're optimizing your finances. Why would you not be in the savings account that's earning the most? If it's convenient, if it's FDIC insured, because the rate could change. It's not guaranteed. Now, if you wanted to put some of this into a CD, okay, that's different. Then you've got a guaranteed interest rate. But of course, you have to be okay with not needing this money. If you're talking about liquidity, being important to you. You don't want to have that money in a CD. So Crystal, I appreciate the question. Thank you for listening. Congrats on the wins. Keep them up. Next is Casey. Hey, Farnoosh, love the podcast. I've been listening to your podcast since January and I've become totally obsessed with personal finance. I've got a money question. I just listened to a recent episode where you mentioned not paying any student debt during the forbearance. Well, I graduated in 2017 with $40,000 in student debt and I have been paying this down quite aggressively. I am down to $3,000 left and I'm trying to decide what to do next. I'm torn between just biting the bullet and paying it off before the interest resumes in January or dragging it out a while. Now for background, I'm turning 25 this month. I'm an internal auditor making $65,000 a year in Charlotte, North Carolina I'm contributing 12% to my 401k, 8,000 to my HSA, and about 8,000 in my investment account. I don't have any other debt. What should I do next? All right, so I wanna just give some people the background, right? So in the CARES Act, the government allows those who have federal student loans to suspend their payments. Initially it was through September. Now they're saying it's gonna be till January. And 
you basically suspend your loan payments. We're talking federal student loans. There's going to be a temporary 0% interest rate on the loans. You have the choice still to contribute if you want, but it's going to be an automatic sort of suspension. You don't have to call your, your lender and let them know you want to opt in. They're just going to opt you into this, but you can always contribute during this deferment period, this suspension period. Some want to contribute because it's an opportunity for the first time ever to really pay your student loans interest-free and get ahead. We talked about this last week too. A listener wrote in with a similar question and you know, there's always exceptions to this. The, the advice recently from the financial planners who've been on the show, and I, I tend to agree, is that if you have a lot of student loan debt, federal student loan debt, and you have been benefiting from this forbearance f- since uh, the CARES Act was passed, and now it seems like you're going to benefit from this, not just through the end of September, but till January, don't freak out and try to pay it down. You know, if you've got other things you have to do, like save up for a rainy day, invest in your retirement account, pay off other high interest debt, those should take precedence. And the other reason why the advice is not to rush to pay this down so quickly is because there seems to be more assistance coming through the pipeline. We don't have crystal balls, but if if you've been following any of the election or, you know, the political debate is that the student loan debacle, this $2 trillion mess that we got ourselves in in this country, seems like there's more people in agreement now that we need to come up with something to, to, to create more flexibility around this, to to just reduce the debts, to, to eliminate some of the debts in some cases. So we have an election, we have potentially new laws going to be made in the next year. So it would be a bummer if you paid it all down and then you discover later, they're like, oh, maybe I didn't have to. But in your case... You're so close to the finish line. You've got $3,000 left to pay. And it sounds like you really do have all of your other ducks in a row. You have all your other financial responsibilities taken care of. I would say if this is going to buy you some peace of mind and this feeling of, you know, renewal and being able to kind of get ahead with your financial life and, you know, stress is worth noticing. It's not nothing. You know, if it, if a financial move is going to not just benefit you monetarily, but will also give you a better night's sleep, that is worth a lot. And so Casey, to you, I would say in your specific case, you're so close to the finish line. Why not? Are you going to regret you know, that if in six months the government's like, all student loans are forgiven, which I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't think you're also going to be part of the cohort that's going to get a lot of assistance. You have a job, you have assets. I think if anyone is going to get their loans forgiven, it might be people who are below the poverty line, not making more, not making money in an industry that's obliterated because of the pandemic and there's no jobs for the foreseeable future. Sounds like you know that this would make you happy that this would make you feel like you're getting ahead. So do it. You have my blessing. Last but not least, Shizuka. What a cool name. On Instagram, writes in, by the way, follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. We've got 25,000 followers now. Woohoo. It's all relative. Some people have 2 million followers in the financial advice space. Some have two. I love our community on Instagram. Every single person's engaged. I mean, look, we raised thousands of dollars 
through Instagram over 24 hours. So, uh, and the scholarship continues. Uh, so anyway, join me at Farnoosh Shirabi on IG. That's also a great place to send me your questions through direct message. Shizuka hit me up there. She said, Hey Farnoosh, I've been listening to your show for about two years. Woo. Thanks for the great advice and the inspiring interviews. I have a PPP related question. That is the paycheck protection program. She took out a loan as a sole proprietor in July and she has a loan that that will cover her for 10 weeks for her salary. She can use the whole amount as owner compensation replacement and get forgiveness. So it's no longer going to be a loan. It's going to go towards payroll. So it will be basically forgiven. Question, how do these loans, these PPP loans and unemployment benefits mix? She said, obviously, I'm not going to seek or receive unemployment benefits for the 10 weeks that I'm getting the PPP. Uh, but do I have to wait like a full 24 weeks before I can receive unemployment benefits because I guess her Schedule C salary is a 24-week covered period. I'm hoping I'll have enough work soon so I don't have to receive unemployment, but would like to be aware of my options. So Shizuka, the best person to answer this question, everybody, you got this, is an accountant or someone who is doing your bookkeeping CPAs, bookkeepers, they are the ones who should know this, like they should know this in their sleep because this directly impacts their work. They're in the business of needing to know. Basically, my understanding is this. If you're a sole proprietor, after your paycheck protection program coverage ends, which in your case, it sounds like 10 weeks, then at that point, you can collect unemployment benefits if you still need it. If you show on payroll that this PPP lasted you a full 24 weeks, even though the PPP was intended for 10, but you stretched it for 24 because that's technically really what it did for you. I'm not sure that if you start collecting unemployment, let's say at week 16, even though the PPP technically is over, but the money's still benefiting you, is kosher. I'm just, you know, logically thinking, how would the IRS think about this? Always a good question to ask yourself when you don't know the answer to a tax question. How would the IRS feel about this? How would they feel about, I took this grant, essentially this free money from the government. It was labeled as a 10 week offering, but I was able to, and I showed on my books that it paid me for 24 weeks. So I'm claiming income for 24 weeks. Oh, but then I'm also on unemployment starting at week 11. So you're double dipping, essentially. Maybe there's a workaround. Maybe it just means you report things differently. But at the end of the day, if you are covered, then, you know, I I would hope that everyone just does the quote unquote right thing. If you know that Collecting unemployment at week 11 is going to be gravy for you. And it's like a cherry on top because this PPP has really, you know, you can stretch it because it's actually 24 weeks of income. Then I I think you know what you got to do. Again, check with someone who is much more attached to this stuff. I don't have an intimate relationship with PPP. And as far as what is said is sometimes different than what is actually done in many cases, right? People, there's always like tax loopholes and things like that. So I would talk to a professional who would be able to answer this more definitively, but that's my two cents. 
Now, in general, how the Paycheck Protection Program and unemployment mix, I was reading about this on none other than a bookkeeping website, again, the bookkeepers know, called bench.co. Any of you subscribe to Bench? Uh, Bottom line is you cannot collect both at the same time, which you know. The recommendation, though, was that if you still have some work coming in and you have the ability to earn some income over the next few months, then if you're choosing between the two, get the PPP. It's usually a better option. It's usually more money, especially now with the additional $600 a week of unemployment benefits from the federal government through the CARES Act gone. It's ended in July. The PPP typically gives small businesses and self-employed people loans that are two and a half times their monthly payroll costs. The loan can be forgiven if you're using it for payroll costs, if you use at least 60% of it for payroll costs and that it becomes a grant and you don't have to repay the grant. Now, the latest deadline for PPP was August 8th, so it was over a week ago, but I'm crossing my fingers that more money is going to come our way this fall. The unemployment number is overall better than they were in April, but on a weekly basis, it's not all moving in the right direction. We've got some weeks where we've got more unemployment claims than the week prior, so it's still a very uncertain landscape for jobs. In the meantime, everybody, I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in. Email me, Farnoosh at SoMoneyPodcast.com if you'd like to learn more about the Equity Learning Scholarship of $2,500, whether you'd like to apply, contribute to the scholarship, or if you're a tutor or you're in the education world and you have Um, some resources that I can take advantage of and give to these families, let me know. Farnoosh at SoMoneyPodcast.com. We're going to be finalizing everything next week at the end of next week. So uh, please hit me up soon. This is time sensitive. And I, I hope that we'll help a lot of families and make this a thing. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your weekend is so money. 